Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to Christ is the Cure. We are continuing the Tulip series, and now that we have concluded on the human will and Calvinism and classical Arminianism, we can move into the subject of grace. Two things before we begin. One, I'm sorry if you hear a low humming in the background. We have the AC running because it's already too hot in Texas for my own good. And two, remember that Christ the Cure is subscriber-supported, and you can become a part of the support team at patreon.com forward slash Christ is the cure. So let's go ahead and go into the discussion. Now, whenever we were talking about the human will and we're talking about where we're going to go next, it is easy to just move into predestination instead of grace. But I figured that grace would probably connect more easily to the doctrines of the human will. Like everything else, things start getting more interconnected as systems become more coherent within themselves, right? And so it's hard to to talk all on one point without touching on something else. So we're going to do our best here. But there will be times where I'm like, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to have to talk about this later on. It does tie into this. And so you may have to go back and forth on the, the episodes in order to get the most out of them, right? Um, so... Whenever you think about the acronym TULIP and you think about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, a lot of people will note that irresistible grace kind of logically falls more into the point between total depravity and unconditional election. Uh, and that's really the route I took here too. And that's because it deals directly with the human will. And then we're going to talk about conversion and regeneration very briefly after we talk about the doctrine of grace and Arminianism, and then Calvinism. So this will probably end up being two episodes, one on Arminianism, one on Calvinism. We'll have to see how long it takes. So we have seen that whenever it comes to the doctrine of total depravity, the classical Arminians and Calvinists find agreement. Man, without some type of special grace, is not free in his will to come to faith. The Holy Spirit must draw man or free, repair, or strengthen his will first in order for man to be able to respond to the gospel call. Now, while that's a great point of agreement, classical Arminianism and Calvinism began to separate on a couple of points. First, Arminians express what is called a universal prevenient grace that will need to be discussed. And secondly, when it comes to salvific grace, Arminians will hold to what is called resistible grace, while Calvinism will articulate what is called irresistible grace. In other words, for the classical Arminian, because of libertarianism or libertarian free will that we discussed in the previous episodes, man can choose to resist grace and not come to Christ when man is drawn by the Holy Spirit. Grace is resistible. The Holy Spirit must work first. There is a real movement of the Holy Spirit enabling man to respond, but man can ultimately choose to Take a hold of faith or resist. Grace is resistible. For the Calvinist, however, man will choose to not resist and will ultimately come to Christ when drawn by the Holy Spirit. It is irresistible. So that's a big key difference is that whenever the, the grace, the power of salvation is before man, in Calvinism, that grace is irresistible. Man will inevitably come to faith in Arminianism, man has the choice to choose otherwise, that is, to not come to faith. But in both positions, grace must come first, 
And then at that point is where we have another divergence, this view of universal prevenient grace versus a particular special grace. So we're going to talk about that as we move through here. Um, so we're going to talk about grace. We're going to briefly define it for you. Uh, we'll talk about the conceptions of grace in Calvinist and Arminian positions, which we'll touch on calling. It has to. And then after this section, we'll talk about conversion and regeneration briefly. So let's talk about grace because sometimes grace can be elusive when it comes to definitions and it becomes necessary to define it before we proceed. Grace is ultimately God's goodness entering into human history and bringing to them, that is humans, undeserved favor. The source of all blessings, material and spiritual, are considered a grace of God, uh, leading to different categories of grace. So we have what is called common grace and special grace. The former, that is common grace, are graces that are non-salvific. They are seen in God's general care of the world. You know, God brings the rain on the righteous and the wicked, right? That is a grace. Um, special grace, which is what we're really talking about in these episodes, is that grace where God is exercising saving power towards a sinner who otherwise is unable to be saved. Um, this grace enlightens the mind of the rebels, it frees their wills, it energizes their affections towards God, and it is an inward work of the Spirit that allows man to willingly believe the gospel, repent of their sins, and trust Christ, right? Um, so let's talk about Arminianism and prevenient grace. So we're going to begin by discussing the Arminian conception of grace, um, and as it has been expressed, Classical Arminianism, and I'm going to say this probably more times than you want to hear. Classical Arminianism holds that it is necessary for grace to come before man is able to respond to the gospel. Jacob Arminius would quote John 6.44 quite often, pointing out that no man can go to the Father unless he is drawn, and the Spirit's prevenient grace must incline the mind and the heart towards the gospel for conversion. The Remonstrance definition or declaration would follow suit, and so Pinson will express that Calvinists and Arminians both hold to a grace that comes before, but the distinction, again, is that Arminians hold to a universal grace that is resistible, while the Calvinist holds to a particular grace that is irresistible. So quite helpful on the point of prevenient grace are the summaries actually provided by the Society of Evangelical Arminians, which, shout out to that website if you haven't heard of it and you want to go learn more about classical Arminianism, the Society of Evangelical Arminians is a great resource for that. Um, so we're going to rely on them here a bit, and let's talk about their general description of the necessity of grace just so we can get that through. Uh, quote, Because human beings are fallen and sinful, they are not able to think, will, nor do anything good in and of themselves, including believe the gospel of Christ. Therefore, desiring the salvation of all and having provided atonement for all, God continues to take the initiative for the purpose of bringing all people to salvation by calling all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel, and by enabling those who hear the gospel to respond to it positively in faith. Unaided by grace, man cannot even choose to please God or to believe the promise of salvation held out in the gospel. As Jesus said in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But thanks be to God, Jesus also promised, quote, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's John 12, 32. 
Thus, the Father and the Son draw all people to Jesus, enabling them to come to Jesus in faith. Even though sinful people are blind to the truth of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Jesus came into the world of sinful humanity as the true light, which enlightens everyone, John 1.9 and 12.36. This light is that light which John the Baptist came to bear witness, quote, that all might believe through him, end quote, in John 1.7. So in the summary, we have total depravity and the necessity of grace um, and how God is working to bring people to salvation by freeing their will, because otherwise man cannot come to faith. Furthermore, they say, quote, all of this is what is known in traditional theological language as God's prevenient grace. The term prevenient simply means preceding. Thus, prevenient grace refers to God's grace that precedes salvation, including that part of salvation known as regeneration, which is the beginning of eternal spiritual life granted to all who trust in Christ, John 1, 12, 13. Prevenient grace is also sometimes called enabling grace or pre-regenerating grace. This is God's unmerited favor towards totally depraved people who are unworthy of God's blessings and unable to seek God or trust in him in and of themselves. Accordingly, Acts 18.27 indicates that we believe through grace, placing grace preveniently, that is logically prior, to faith as a means by which we believe. It is the grace that, among other things, frees our wills to believe in Christ and his gospel. As Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing a salvation for all people. End quote. So here we find, again, the necessity of grace expressed in order for man to respond to the gospel and believe in Christ. When it comes to specifics on what this grace looks like, there are differences among Arminians. And so I'm going to quote the Society of Evangelical Arminians again, because their summary is helpful. Quote, Arminians differ among themselves about some of the details of how God's prevenient grace works, probably because scripture itself does not give a detailed description. Some Arminians believe that God continuously enables all people to believe at all times as a benefit of the atonement. Others believe that God only bestows the ability to believe in Christ to people at select times according to his good pleasure and wisdom. Still, others believe that prevenient grace generally accompanies any of God's specific movements towards people, rendering them able to respond positively to such movements as God would have them. But all Arminians agree that people are incapable of believing in Jesus apart from the intervention of God's grace and that God does bestow his grace that draws toward salvation on all morally responsible people. With respect to the gospel, 17th century Armenian Bishop Lawrence Womack well said, quote, On all of those to whom the word of faith is preached, the Holy Spirit bestows or is ready to bestow so much grace as is sufficient in fitting degrees to bring on their conversion, end quote. Uh, which, by the way, all of those quotations come from um, their summary. It's the facts of salvation, a summary of Armenian theology, uh, the Biblical Doctrines of Grace at evangelicalarminian.org. And so because there are differences among Arminians about specific articulations, I'm going to go with Matthew Pinson because, from what I understand, he holds to the classical position um, or the Reformed Arminian position. And so we're going to discuss from his vantage point, which, again, means that whenever you're discussing with people, you can't assume that they hold to this particular view in particular. Um, so let's talk about Matthew Pinson's explanation of universal prevenient grace. 
And let's talk about what he says it is not. So Pinson first begins by stating that provenient grace should not be confused with natural or general revelation. He points out that while many Arminians themselves tend to conflate the two ideas, it is more appropriate to view, quote, provenient grace as an individualized drawing, which at one time or another goes out to all people in God's own timing and manner, end quote. So this is to say that provenient grace is a special grace, not general revelation. And if you don't know, general revelation is that revelation of God found in nature or creation, and that is available to all men everywhere. So this is not what prevenient grace is, and Matthew Pinson uh, points out that uh, prevenient grace is a special grace, not general revelation. General revelation is natural, while prevenient grace, or the drawing grace of the Holy Spirit, is supernatural. It is the activity of the Holy Spirit, which also... Um, it's not something Pinson brings up, but in discussing the effectual call of God or the prevenient grace, both the former being Calvinist, this one being um, Arminian, some people tend to think of grace as a force that is separate from the work of God. But this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. It is a personal inworking of God in the lives of people. I know that was a weird sidebar, but I've just re recalled a couple of discussions where grace was kind of seen as this mystical force that is doing things. But no, this is God's working in history. Um, secondly, Pinson notes that this is a supernatural drawing. It is not a unilateral lessening of depravity. Um, this is really the, the position that many people mistakenly believe classic Arminianism holds to. But Pinson would argue that, no, this is not a unilateral lessening of depravity. Instead, this is the Holy Spirit's working in the people's hearts and minds before conversion in Acts 2, 37, 10, 12, 16, 14, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5. And Pinson quoting the classical Arminian Stephen Ashby, I think is how you say it. He says, quote, Reformed Arminians differ from Wesleyans in our understanding of prevenient grace. It is not like a dense fog settling over a city in which everyone equally shares, hence canceling out the effects of the fall for all humanity. Rather, it is individually directed and brings with it God's enablement as he draws human beings to himself. Though Reformed Arminians insist that God universally provides his salvific grace, they, at the same time, resist the notion that prevenient grace reverses the effects of the fall. Rather, such grace though universal in scope acts as enablement and drawing on an individual human level, end quote. Pinson will continue to express this, quote, The Holy Spirit is a person relating to other persons made in his image. Provenient grace is not a substance one possesses. It is a gracious, enabling influence of the divine person on the human person in a relational dynamic, a back-and-forth influence and response relational movement. Yet, the spirits will not always strive with man. This influence, this persuasion, this conviction, this back-and-forth relational experience is temporary. Like other interpersonal forms of communication and influence, it is something that can come and go. So this is not an idea of the Holy Spirit works, and all of a sudden, total depravity is clicked off until man dies. Uh, and I think that this is kind of the perception a lot of Calvinists have on the position, but that's not accurate. 
There could be something said about the Wesleyan position that could be critiqued differently than the classical Arminian position, but the classical Arminian uh, position is a little bit more, I want to say narrow, or how about we just say focused, because narrow sounds a little bit insulting, but that's not what I mean. It's more focused. So third, Pinson will um, point out and be emphatic on the point that prevenient grace does not mean that people who never hear the gospel can be saved without the gospel, special revelation, or confessing Christ. He explains this in stating that, quote, most Arminians believe that there are two stages of prevenient grace. People receive some motions of prevenient grace before they receive the gospel or special revelation. However, these can never result in salvation. If individuals do not resist the early motions of prevenient grace, they will be given the gospel. The second stage of prevenient grace, which involves the communication of the gospel word, must occur for individuals to be led to conversion. So this is to say that the ordinary means and instrument of conversions for many Arminians is the preaching of the word or the gospel. When dealing with rejections of Arminianism's prevenient grace, Pinson rejects the notion that the effects of total depravity are neutralized via the cross of Christ and calls this a misunderstanding based on a model that some Wesleyans advocate. As Pinson states, this model is not that of classical Arminianism. The atonement has not counteracted the effects of Adam's sin so that all people have an opportunity to accept and receive Christ. But instead, God is working personally in the individual lives to draw men to the cross and enabling them to respond. So let's talk a little bit about resistible grace now. Um, so we're still talking about Arminianism, obviously. We're going to talk about resistible grace. We have noted several passages in our citations um, from the Society of Evangelical Arminians that are used to articulate prevenient grace, right? God is working and drawing all men to himself as the light of the world, and this becomes the basis for prevenient grace. For Arminianism, God in prevenient grace is calling, convicting, wooing, pursuing, and enabling people to be his own. So as you can ascertain from that, there's a close connection between this and calling. The call of sinners to the gospel is a part of grace, wherein man is invited to accept the gospel and it brings to bear the word of God on a person. But this call and this grace can be resisted. This is in part uh, connected to the issue of libertarian freedom of the will, as man must always have the two options before him. That is the power of contrary choice. We talked about that in our episode on libertarian free will. This ultimately means that there are many individuals who will genuinely hear and understand the message of God's grace and have the opportunity to be saved by taking hold of the gift of faith, yet instead they choose to resist grace and reject salvation, thus being left on the path to damnation. Um, so when it comes to the texts for this notion of resistible grace, there are several key texts that Arminians and others, such as Lutherans, will point to. Um, one of the key texts is found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. In this text, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing, end quote. So for the Arminians, this text is a demonstration of Jesus sincerely and graciously calling people to be his own, and the sole reason they did not become his own was that they were not willing. And as a result, he is lamenting and he is weeping over this unwillingness to take a hold of his call. For the Arminian, the argument is strengthened in that the verb to will is used twice, one expressing Jesus' will 
and the other is attached to the people who rejected Jesus, thus presenting a paradigm of, I willed, but you were not willing. Matthew Pinson on this text states, quote, Jesus is willing for them to be under his wings, to be his own children. It is they who are unwilling. So there is nothing he can do about it based on his plan for redemption for his free creatures. His weeping represents a true lament, as Keener argues. Jesus' love for Jerusalem here gives way to the broken-hearted pain of the rejection. The fact that they are not under his wings is to blame not on his unwillingness, but on their own unwillingness, end quote. And a quick sidebar, because I didn't mention it at the beginning, but these resources that I'm quoting will be put in the landing page for this episode on the website. Anyway, um, so classical Arminians will further point out that there are periods where God calls individuals to respond to him, and those same individuals resist God's persistent calls, uh, and you can see this with Israel, particularly in the prophets, where they are ignoring his grace. Just as well, it is asserted that God has done all that he can do to bring a people to himself in providing sufficient grace for mankind to respond. The example of the parable of the great banquet is utilized in Luke 14, 16-24, wherein the host has invited many individuals, yet that invitation has been refused. The invitation is a sincere and earnest invitation into the great banquet, yet it can be resisted. So what do Arminians say about irresistible grace? That is the Calvinist position. Um, a key text that has been discussed on the subject is that of John 6. Uh, citing John 6 relevant verses, quote, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that's John 6, 35, 51. So the Calvinists would focus on the statements that stress, uh, quote, all that the Father gives will go to the Son, right? In verses 37, 39, and then later on in verse 65, which we did not quote here. So further, the context of why the Jews did not believe along with the apparent certainty of Jesus that all that the Father gives, quote, will come to him, proves as an explanation that, one, the Jews did not believe because they were neither drawn nor given, and two, the individuals who are drawn and given will certainly go to the Son. Now, while the Calvinist explanation will be fleshed out whenever we get to the Calvinist explanation, 
The Arminian would argue that the passage does not argue for irresistible grace. Instead, it is the one who has believed who is the one who has been given to Jesus by the Father. And they would cite John 5, 37, 43, leading up to this text to make that argument. On this text, Matthew Pinson points out that the Jews never heard the Father's voice and do not have the word abiding in them. Yet he then immediately tells them why they are in this condition. Quote, because you do not believe in the one whom he sent in verse 38. Because, quote, you refuse to come to me that you may have life in verse 40. Yet you do not receive me in verse 43. And thus the context of John 6.37 explains this meaning. Who is it that the Father gives Jesus? Those who do not refuse him in 540 and those who believe in him in 538, those who receive him in 543, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, according to John 1.11 through 12. It is clear that Jesus is holding out hope to these people that they can come to him if they stop refusing. If they believe him and receive him, quote, I say these things so that you may be saved, and John 6.34. So Pinson will further explain that the Arminian, quote, believes that the sinner cannot come to Jesus unless the Father draws them, in 644, and that the Father will give believers, those who do not refuse him, to his Son, and that God must draw sinners and enable them with his grace for them to be saved. This is what John 6 is teaching, not irresistible grace, end quote. So for Arminians, in short, the Father gives Jesus those who believe in him. Furthermore, because of the text such as John 12, 32, wherein Jesus states that he will draw all people to himself, we find a universal granting and drawing in place where the condition of faith can be met in order to be given to the Son. Pinson further stresses that it is through divine teaching that individuals are drawn, that is God's gracious influence upon unbelievers with information about their lost state and the need of a Savior. John 6, 45 comes into play here. As Jesus states that, quote, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, end quote. It is both hearing and learning of this divine teaching and not resisting this teaching that brings one to Jesus. So to conclude this section on Arminian grace, for the Arminian, the presentation of Provenian grace is crucial to their system as it allows for the Arminian to reconcile or hold together the positions of total depravity, Salvation by grace, human responsibility, and the offer of salvation to all. Calvinists find agreement with Arminians that prevenient grace is important to their system and usually will focus upon critiquing the system as a whole because of its lack of apparent biblical support on prevenient grace. This will be examined later, but for now it's sufficient to say that for the Arminian, Calvinism fails and that we have various calls of God for people to obey and come to him in the Old Testament and New, and yet the people clearly resist this grace. And so the Calvinist, so the Arminian says, leaves God insincere in his general calling of all people when he only effectually calls some to actually positively respond. Furthermore, Arminians will critique the Calvinist system, saying that the Calvinist position doesn't allow for a good system of accountability in terms of human responsibility. So to summarize the Arminian position, there is a universal prevenient grace that enables and calls all men to receive the gift of faith and Christ but this grace can be resisted and man will ultimately choose whether or not to be one of the elect, that is one of those who are foreknown by God to have faith in Christ, or to be the reprobate, that is those foreknown by God who will resist God's grace. So this wraps up the Arminian 
position on prevenient grace and how they understand total depravity and universal prevenient grace. And next time we will discuss Calvinism and irresistible grace. God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.